All right, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, round four's finished up. Round five is just around the corner. And I guess all things considered, Tom, despite the mounting concussion and injury tolls for some teams who, you know, as we'll discuss later, <laughs> have had to scrape the bottom of the barrel just to name a 21 or 21 plays for their squad. But overall, it was a pretty good round of football in round four. Yeah, great attacking display from another side. And I know on Twitter I saw that this round had the highest average winning margin of any round since 2004. So we're getting a lot of blowout scores. And of course, the rules have come under a little bit of scrutiny in whether or not they've caused those score lines. But it's provided a great chance for the top teams to, to show their worth this season. And you know, I can't wait to see some of those top teams come up against each other because we've got some great attacking clashes to come this season, I'm sure. Yeah, we certainly do. I mean, look, I mean, unfortunately, it's been made clear there's four sides this year that are probably going to scrape to four or five wins tops if they're lucky, you know, based on the way they're playing. And I guess one of those teams, Tom, kicks us off on uh, Thursday night up against the Rabbitohs, and that's the Brisbane Broncos. And look, I mean, it, the Broncos are a work in progress, obviously. You know, anyone, anyone that sort of thinks that they're going to make some insane charge is probably kidding themselves. And look, it wasn't easy against the Storm and it's not going to get any easier against the Bunnies, even if Cody Walker misses this clash. Yeah, certainly not. You'd really expect the Bunnies to be all over Brisbane in this one. They didn't help themselves last week. The Broncos completed it under 80% throughout the game. And and that meant that they just didn't have the attacking opportunities that Melbourne had. And of course, they were tore apart by Ryan Pappenhausen, who I'm sure we'll speak about later. He was absolutely electric. Obviously, four tries in 12 minutes, basically unprecedented scenes down there at Amy Park. And, you know, unfortunately for Brisbane, from there, it was all Melbourne. And the task was too difficult. We know how good Melbourne are at just managing a game and shutting shutting the game down once they get up to a reasonable lead. I'm sure they'll be looking to get another quick start this week. They're out to a 6-0 lead and unfortunately had 40, uh, 40 consecutive points scored against them. For South, it'll be interesting to see what happens there with Cody Walker out, obviously Benji Marshall comes straight into that side and that's exactly why he was brought across from the Tigers to fill in for uh, Walker or Reynolds should they miss some time this season. And you know, I'm sure Benji's worth will be on display this week. He put in that nice kick for Latrell Mitchell last week in an attacking play that we saw three or four times throughout the weekend. We saw Benji just sort of float across the field and then dab a little kick in for Latrell Mitchell. We saw the same thing from Mitch Moses for the Neocore try yesterday against the Tigers. And then we also saw it from Chad Townsend uh, who sent, I think it was Josh Dugan away for a try on Saturday evening. Yeah, certainly teams have to start getting creative with the way that they play, given how how good most defences are. And yeah, look, I mean, I think will will the bunnies be, I guess, slightly, or what's what's the term, slightly negated in attack without Cody Walker? Of course they will be, but you know, it, it's it certainly it certainly helps when you have a guy like Benji, who, albeit is now an elder statesman of of rugby league, certainly. You know, he's someone that's not not a it's not a foreign concept to him to just slot in and play a role. And I guess it'll, it'll, the more interesting part will be, Tom, is I wonder will we see more of Latrell at uh, first or second receiver rather than I guess building off the back of that. You know, obviously when Cody Walker was there, he'd take the line on. He, you know, the decoy would go through, it goes to Latrell, and they'd go something from there. So it'd be interesting to see. I guess how how Wayne Bennett's game plan will adjust to potentially get Mitchell more involved and I guess players that sort of you know roving sweeper sort of role that 
we see Walker play or even Ryan Pappenhausen, like you mentioned at the Storm, you know, just, just that guy that gets the ball and is able to deliver a quick pass inside or outside and create plays. So it, it's it's going to be not, not going to be close. I can't imagine the Broncos are going to trouble them too much, but it, it's, it's certainly at the same time, it probably is a game where Souths can't afford to get too complacent if they want to keep keep par with, I guess, the two undefeated sides that are left in this season so far. Yeah, certainly. And I think we'll see Benji Marshall play a very similar role to Cody Walker. We know Benji, even though he is ageing a little bit, he isn't afraid to take the line on and show a little bit of football at close to the line. I think that it'll be a very similar philosophy from Wayne Bennett's side to what we saw from Craig Bellamy in the Storm last week. They'll be relying on their outside backs to cut it up through the early tackles of the set roll on their forwards to get them into good attacking positions. And then I don't think Souths will be afraid to attack them anywhere on the field this weekend. We saw Ryan Pappenhausen score, score a couple of long-distance tries. And uh, if, if there's something South Sydney have been known for over the last few years, it is their long-distance efforts that we often see with one of their outside backs or second rowers breaking through. And then, of course, Latrell Mitchell or Cody Walker backing up on the inside. Uh, we've seen it so often over the last few years. And I think uh, pretty safe to say we might be seeing it again this weekend. Certainly looks that way. And look, obviously... You know, the second game of the round, another team that is struggling very badly, as we've seen, that's the Manly Seagulls. And I guess before I go to Manly, Tom, it will be interesting with this Warriors side to see how their forwards go in particular. Obviously, no Adam Fanua Blake, no Bunty Afoa, no Bailey Sirinan, all three who have been pretty good so far this year, whether they've been starting in AF, in Fanua Blake's case or, you know, sort of coming off the bench slash starting in Afoa and Sirinan. And, at the same time, you know, I say that all three are losses, but I guess when you have the, the flexibility to be able to start Leeson Armour, who we know how good he's been off the bench this year and even in years past for the Dragons, Toru Harris removes to prop and you can slot Jazz Tavanga in at lock. It's probably the best depth the Warriors had in the forwards for some time. Obviously, it's just a question as to whether they can really set the tone and get over the advantage line like we saw for Newell Blake do for the first four rounds, basically. Yeah, he was outstanding until he suffered that knee injury. He was strong throughout that first half and really led Warriors to the lead early in the game until they got run down by that nice attacking outfit of the Roosters. Unfortunately, once the Roosters got in front for the Warriors, they just tried to play catch-up and a couple of errors crept into their game. We saw that try from Drew Hutchinson where Roger Tuvalsek just spilt the ball and straight into Hutchinson's hand where he ran 40 metres to the try line. I'm sure uh, the Warriors will be looking to capitalise on... Uh, on this game up against Manly, who really haven't shown a, a lot in attack or defence in the first couple of rounds. Dylan Walker, they've been named at fullback again. Des Hazel obviously keen to persist with that when it really doesn't look like it's been working. Good to see Morgan Harper back into the side, though. He'll come in for Moses Suli in the centres. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Harper and Walker uh, swap with Walker going into the centres and Harper dropping back into the um, into the fullback role throughout the game. If, if things go awry for Dylan Walker, Morgan Harper has shown a number of occasions that he's more than willing to fill in at fullback, and he's a, a, a terrific replacement back there. Josh Schuster, even though they were pumped last week, he was strong again. Uh, he was good for all the super coaches out there, and you know I'm sure they'll be looking to continue to develop him, whether it's in that 12 role or eventually sorting into hooker or even the 5'8 spot of Kieran Foran. But yeah, it's going to come down to the forge battle, this one. Obviously, Warriors have significantly more depth, but if uh, Martin Tapao and Taniel Paseca can get rolling throughout the early stages of the game, they might be able to get up to a a nice early lead and then make the Warriors chase them down from there where errors could creep in once more. Yeah, the Warriors are definitely, or at least this year, certainly a better side when 
you know, they play on the front foot and are the ones that lead rather than having to chase the game. But I don't know if it would be, I guess, ugly in this game, but you'd still expect the Warriors, despite missing the fours that they are, to to at least win comfortably. And look, I mean, Manly, for the amount that Daddy Cherry Evans is on, Tom, you know, obviously the reported figure is 1.2 million a season, potentially the highest paid player in the game, if you believe all the, you know, all the media chatter that goes about. And, you know, I guess for a guy that is paid so much, yes, he has, I guess, average quality around him overall. When you look at other sides who have big name players, the quality around them is better, but you'd, I guess, and, and we've said it before earlier this season, we've certainly been expecting a lot more from Cherry Evans and, you know, you get the sense that he's trying to overplay his hand and as a result, that's, I guess, negatively impacting the way he's able to make an impression on the game and it's not boding well for Manly so far. Yeah, certainly not. Cherry Evans last week only eight runs for 63 metres. If you're a Manly fan, you're really looking for him to take the line on, throw that dummy and duck straight through the line, especially later in the game up against those tiring defenders, particularly in the forward pack. It'd be interesting to see what happens with the Warriors this week. They've named Torhu Harris at prop. We spoke in the preseason about his versatility, being able to sort in either on an edge or in the lock role, but I don't think we were expecting him to, to be named a prop at any stage throughout the season. So it would be interesting to see how he managed him throughout the game, whether he gets potentially less minutes, but we've got plenty of uh, firepower on the bench with guys like Ben Murdoch, Masura and Kane Evans who have uh, considerable NRL experience there. Yeah, they certainly do. It's, it, it's probably, of all the games that there are, this is probably one of those ones that's an easy one to tip, considering that there's a couple this week that, aren't going to be easy at all. And, that, you know, that second game on Friday night is going to be exactly that, Tom. Obviously, we've got undefeated Penrith Panthers coming up against Canberra, who I guess have some been patchy at times, but obviously, you know, they did record a, a pretty good win against the Titans, even though there are areas that they'd want to fix as well. And I guess probably the good thing from a Raiders perspective, Tom, is Jack Whiten, I guess, hasn't, quite played at that Dally M level that he has or that he was last year but the side still has other players around him like George Williams, Josh Papali uh, even you know Josh Hodgson coming back as well that are sort of I guess taking over that mantle or at least assisting with that mantle to try and make the Raiders a more complete side and obviously you know it, it's showing given that they're in fifth position at the moment so they're certainly doing something right even if there is improvement in them yeah, certainly. And another guy I was really impressed with last week and right throughout the season is Ryan Sutton. And he's been rewarded once more with a, uh, another spot in the starting lineup this week uh, alongside Josh Papali'i in, in the prop role. He picked himself up a try last week, 33 tackles, three uh, tackle breaks, a line break, and uh, 18 hit-ups as well. So plenty of involvement from Sutton. And he's been really instrumental in getting the Raiders on the front foot and enabling guys like uh, Josh Papali'i, Charles Nickel-Cockstar, or Charles Nickel-Cookstar, and uh, Josh Hodgson to really take advantage of some good attacking position and uh, put plenty of points on the board for the Raiders. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, of course, it was Papa Lee, obviously, you know, it's all the all the pronunciation is hard to keep up sometimes. But uh, yeah, so Josh Papa Lee, I apologize for saying Papali earlier. Now he, he changed the pronunciation this year. But yeah, look, I mean, it's certainly, you know, the Raiders are tracking in the right direction. I mean, I, I still think that, when you look at a side overall, the Raiders, only because they've got that continued history of they can potentially fade as the season goes on or they, you know, they'll win a few on the trot, lose a few. 
you know, probably before outside of the last one to two years, that's always been, I guess, you know, the Raiders to a T that they're a good side, but just the inconsistency. And I guess that sort of is a thing that can even haunt them in a way, Tom, to, you know, to try and get that consistency and, and particularly coming up against Penrith now, which would be a big scout and certainly a, a big confidence boost for them to, I guess, buck that trend of sustained inconsistency. Yeah, and there'll be huge pressure this week on Bailey Simonson and Jared Croker up against that left-edge attack of the Panthers. We saw last week they absolutely demolished Manly down that edge. There <laughs> were a number of times where it looked as though they had the numbers out on the right, but they continually ignored uh, the right side and continued to pepper the left. And it paid dividends for them. Brian Toto, two tries. Matt Burton, a try. Billy Army Kikau, two tries there as well. Jerome Luai was strong with four try assists and a try contribution as well. So, you know, he was outstanding. Brian Toto, we've mentioned his efforts a number of times throughout this year. We've spoken about how you'd like to see Mike Sivo play more like Toto, and he was at his best last week. Ten tackle busts throughout the game and two line breaks. Can't ask for much more than that from him. Can't ask for much more than that from your winger. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's... <sighs> the way Brian Toller plays, it, it, it's literally just like... It, it's just a man that... If he has to, you know, scratch, crawl, scrape, you, you name it, he'll do it to make even one extra yard, and, and he does it. And there are obviously not just Mike Isera. There's plenty of wingers in particular that can certainly watch Brian Toller's game and, and be like, yep, yeah, that's the kind of winger I need to be in terms of just that intensity and that desire to make meters. And, you know, Brian Toy is probably deservedly this year in that top three to five winger category, obviously, you know, still a long way to go, but certainly hasn't, uh, hasn't rested on his laurels by any means. No, certainly not. That was just a great display last week. And his combination was Matt Burton was really great to watch. Obviously Burton's playing in that unnatural position in the centers, but you know, we could even see him there long-term depending on what happens with Dylan Edwards and his hand injury, because he, he looked really strong there. And, you know, I don't think Matt Burton will look out of place in any Penrith starting lineup moving forward this season. Yeah, he certainly won't be. It looks like the dogs are going to get a good one for 2022. And, you know, just like it's been, di- or it will be difficult to tip Panthers and Canberra, Titans and Knights, Tom. I mean, I, I obviously this one, we know what happened to the Knights last week. The, you know, the end of the game with 13, Third, obviously, 13 were left, but it was effectively 12, given the leg injury that Clemmer was carrying. He is named here, and you know Adam O'Brien said in the press conference he didn't know if he was going to be able to name a 21-man squad. And you look at the plays in 18 to 21, that's four development plays that they've gotten gotten uh, an exemption from the NRL to use. And you know you look at the names that they've got out. Obviously, you know Kurt Mann, uh, Mitchell Pearce, Edric Lee, Lachlan Fitzgibbon. Jacob Saifidi is suspended for a week. I guess the one saving grace, Kalen Ponger is back, Tom, after missing the first four weeks because of that shoulder reconstruction and the off-season shoulder surgery. There's still a question mark over whether he plays, but I think given the guys that they've got in in that reserves bunch, Tim, their development blokes, (laughs) O'Brien probably has to bite the bullet and, and play Ponger a week early in a way. Yeah, I'd say so. There's a lot of pressure on Ponger. Straight into this lineup, obviously he'll be forced to be the main creator on this of this side with uh, Connor Watson and Blake Green in the halves. No Kurt Mann and Mitchell Pierce, as you mentioned there. So he'll be looking to control both sides of the field. I'd say 
we won't just see him stuck on that left edge like we saw through parts of last season. He'll he'll be free to roam uh, wherever he likes and wherever he sees fit throughout the game. For the Titans, I think the, the aim of this week is going to be ball control. They found themselves slightly behind the Raiders and just didn't help themselves throughout the game. And we completed at 68%, 14 errors there. So, you know, that's not good enough. And up against uh, a team, any team that's got Kalen Ponga involved and a fourth pack that still, you know, is quite strong. You've got David Klemmer, Daniel Saifidi, Tyson Frizzell, Mitch Barnett, and of course, Suwaso Sui uh, rounding out the, the squad in the lock role. You know, they'll be on the front foot throughout the game and the pressure will be on guys like Tino Falso, Malawi, and David Fida really keep up. The Knights, obviously, with Suaso Sui in that uh, lock role instead of Connor Watson, they've gone with a little bit more size, and it'll be interesting to see how the Titans manage that with Tyrone Peachy. He played 60 minutes last week and, you know, probably wasn't his best game. I'm sure Holbrook will be looking for more consistency from him this year, as, you know, it's, it's been, it's probably been his issue over the last couple of years. At his best, he's, you know, one of the most naturally gifted footballers going around, but uh, at his worst, he can be pretty average in defence, and unfortunately, he just came up with too many errors last week. And uh, they won't be wanting to give much possession to Newcastle when uh, the likes of Cameron Ponga. No, that's it. We know what Ponga can do. And obviously, he'll probably be a bit rusty in his first game back. But, he, you know, rust is just, is just a thing that good players can deal with. And I guess the Titans, Tom, I mean, I think certainly, even though that they even though they lost, the efforts in the effort in particular from Fasu and Maliawi, I mean, 93 points as a prop playing... You know, he played the 80 minutes, which was a surprise to some, but certainly judging by Holbrook's comments post-game, he he's looking to up up the you know the minutes regularly for for Big Tino, and that's a win-win for everybody, Titans fans and Supercoach fans to have him, and you know just in a I guess in a forward pack that was not comfortably comfort comfortably beaten, but you know certainly struggled a little bit. Tino's efforts, I mean, they were just phenomenal across the board. Yeah, and his combination with David Fafita continues to grow. Between them on the weekend, they had 13 tackle breaks, so it's great to see them getting involved in the attack. Really loving uh, seeing David Fafita getting involved early in sets two. He's such a damaging runner. can really get the Titans on the front foot on the uh, second and third tackles. For Tino, I'd really love to see him bring out the offload like we saw at Melbourne a number of times. He's only had four offloads so far this season, so we'd love to see him try and free the arm a little bit more because I think uh, in a similar role to what we saw particularly yesterday from Luciano where we were at the Tigers. I think if Tino can just poke his head through the line, we'll see plenty of ball to AJ Brimson and uh, he can get it away to guys like Jamal Fogarty and uh, Ash Taylor as well through the middle of the field and he'll score plenty of long-range tries. Yeah, there's certainly a little coming. Mean, I think for the Titans, you know, if, even though they did lose to the Raiders, obviously you can tell just, I guess, by the approach and how, you know, the, the reaction from the loss and the way Holbrook talks post-game, you, they're certainly headed in the right direction in terms of where they want to be. And, you know, I, I think anyone that thinks the Titans are, you know, going to remain as cellar dwellers, it, that's, you'd be brave to suggest that. So I think, you know, the Titans, Titans fans can, can take solace and belief in the way that the site is being built, the culture of the site. Obviously, you know, Holbrook is you know, very familiar with winning cultures based on his, his grand final success with St. Helens and, it's certainly, it's a, it's about time, Tom. I guess that the Titans have a good run and they're able to build that sustained period of, of, success, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. I think they're definitely on the right track, and I have no doubt they'll be there and thereabouts come the end of the year. A little bit of a funny stat I stumbled across when I was uh, doing a bit of research for the podcast this afternoon, looking at uh, Titans Raiders game. The, uh, the dummies in the stats, Raiders threw two on 
Saturday night, the Titans, 32. So I'm sure we'll be looking to see a little bit more ball movement from Holbrook's men this weekend. I'm sure Tyrone Petrie was probably responsible for about 16 of those. <laughs> too many too many or too few dummies, that's for sure. But look, second game on Saturday, Tom, this is probably another foregone conclusion. I mean, you know, you touched on it before. Ryan Pappenhausen, four tries in 12 minutes. It just, you know, I mean, not just him, the entire Storm side, particularly from about that 20-minute mark onward, just blew the Broncos away in every facet of the field. And, you know, it only helps the Broncos that Felice Corfusi is obviously returns in the back row. Harry Grant is still an outside chance to come back as well, obviously named in 21. And I guess for a dog side that ha- has struggled to score points, basically, I mean, they... It's certainly not from a lack of trying or a lack of effort, but they're just, for some reason, they just cannot score points this year. I mean, what's it up to? I think it's 263 minutes or thereabouts without points. I mean, that's a long time between scoring points. And <laughs> it just makes you wonder, is that streak going to continue against the Storm side who, when they have to defend, they'll defend, but like their life depends on it. Yeah, you'd think so. It's almost like Craig Bellamy's men will, will feel as though it's a loss if they've conceded points this weekend, which is just crazy to imagine. Some of the stats around the Bulldogs are, um, you know, pretty incredible. 16 points in the first three games. It's the lowest in the NRL era, lowest since Glebe in 1928. It's also uh, only the second time in the last two decades that a team has lost three games consecutively without scoring a point. The last was the Sharks back, I think, in the back end of 2014 it was. So, you know, look, the Bulldogs, they'll be looking to try something new this week. It's good for them that they get your boy Luke Thompson back in the side. You've been spruiking him for a couple of weeks um, and saying that uh, his addition is going to really help their go forward, and I have to agree with that. Unfortunately for the Bulldogs, their two best performances last week probably came from guys coming off the bench, Rino Fatoni and also uh, Jackson Topine. I thought they were both strong despite their inexperience, and you know uh, they played good minutes in a well-beaten side. This week for Melbourne, it's scary to think what could happen if Harry Grant comes into this side because yeah, they could win this game by 100. We saw what they did to the Broncos in a 12-minute stretch, and unfortunately, if the Bulldogs put up a similar defensive effort, uh, we might get a similar result. So I'm sure the key for the Bulldogs will just be holding onto the ball. They'll be looking to really grind Melbourne into winning, you know, a, a, perhaps an 18-4 to or a 16-12 to game, just not giving them much in attack at all and, you know, really just focusing on getting back to the fundamentals. I know we spoke... Uh, I know I heard uh, Todd Payton speak before the game, uh, before the Cowboys game on the weekend, and he said that he was really just looking to um, focus on completions, getting to the end of sets, kicking deep, and really focusing on defence. Obviously, didn't eventuate for the Cowboys, but I'm sure it'll be a similar game plan this week for the Bulldogs. Oh, it certainly has to be. I mean, the they've got to find a way to score points, and they've got to find a way to stop Melbourne from scoring points, basically. And both are certainly easier said than done so far this season, but. I guess the Bulldogs, I mean, it looks like whether it's Trent Barrett seeing the light or, you know, maybe the the injury to Nick Meany forced his hand in some way. Obviously, you know, Meany suffered a couple of broken ribs, I think it was, from that clash last week. So we're finally seeing Nick Kotrick move back to what is his best position. That's on the wing. Obviously, he's been playing in the centres for the Bulldogs and probably hasn't started well at all, given how well he was performing last year for Canberra you know certainly very close to that you know sort of elite winger status coming close to Dalian potential and everything and 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's a chance for Kotrick to show Bulldogs fans why he's such a good winger. Yeah, definitely. And he'll have his hands full up against Melbourne's left edge. You've got Munster, Adokar and Olam running at you. And, you know, I'm sure they'll be throwing plenty of ball throughout the game. We saw that on the weekend that Melbourne really used their left edge to create a lot of attack. And, and obviously, Pappenhausen was the beneficiary of that. One guy that I, I was really impressed with for Melbourne, who probably didn't get the raps that he deserved, was Christian Welsh. Ten offloads this season. He's only had uh, 16 on the year, and 10 of them were last Friday night. And uh, his attack was really important in allowing some of the guys on his outside to get in a little bit of space and obviously free the likes of Ryan Pappenhausen straight through the middle. So I'm sure they'll be looking for a similar performance from him this week. And this is probably one of the more one-sided clashes that I've ever seen in my time watching rugby league. I think the bookies have Melbourne to win this game by about 26 points. And yeah, judging by what's happened this season, I don't think you could you could back the Bulldogs to cover that. Yeah, it doesn't look like it, that's for sure. And look, the doggies have their work cut out, but it would literally be one of the biggest upsets that we've seen in a long time if they managed to beat the Storm, which the way the Storm are playing probably doesn't look likely. No, certainly not. Well, look, the final game on Saturday, we have the Roosters and the Sharks. And I guess with the starting with the Roosters, Tom, obviously we know Luke Keery's done his ACL, is out for the season. There was a lot, a lot of hype, a lot of pressure on Sam Walker. And look, I've got to tell you, he, he certainly, you know, did his part, obviously had a hand in quite a few tries and and was certainly involved. And I thought it was interesting to hear Cooper Cronk on NRL 360 last night, basically, obviously, because Cronk is a, a consultant for the Roosters and has done a bit of work with Walker. And he said that Walker, 95% of what he does it's literally backyard 40 to the team. And Kronk was saying that part you don't change. That's, you know, the fundamentals, the basics. You let him keep that natural instinct that comes to him as a, you know, naturally. Uh, and it's just that 5% that's just more about game management, about decision making, just those sort of things that generally tend to come with experience in the game to help him develop further. But certainly a very good start from a kid who, keeping in mind, is still only 18 years old, playing in, I guess, the most uh, cutthroat position in a way, given how important a halfback is to is to any NRL side these days. Yeah, 100%. He was outstanding. I love that try he put on. I think it was for potentially Nat Butcher there in the second half. And he sort of drifted across field, drew in that extra defender from the Warriors and hit Butcher with that short ball. Uh, he looks to be... A real good one for the Roosters that I'm sure they'll be looking to develop for a long time to come alongside Luke Keery. I think I come round one in 2022, we'll be seeing Walker and Keery alongside each other. I think he's definitely going to displace Lockie Lamb at his spot before he returns, unfortunately, for Lamb. And then across uh, for the Sharks, what an outstanding performance it was for them up against the Cowboys. Obviously, they're up against some pretty lackluster defence and you know, a team that didn't really show a lot with the ball, but you can only beat what's put it up in front of you. And uh, There was a couple of outstanding performances there. I thought Will Kennedy had probably one of his finest games in first grade, two tries and two try assists for him. A line break as well there. Chad Townsend was really good. I mentioned it earlier with that try that he just sort of skipped across field, surveyed the defence and just put in a little deft grubber for Josh Dugan and caught Hamiso Tabuaifito out of position. And then, of course, Connor Tracy as well. I thought he's been... Up. And, of course, Connor Tracy as well. I think he's been outstanding since moving into that centre position. He's more of a natural fullback or 5'8", but we even saw him on the wing for stages there where he nabbed a try. I think it was late in the first half. So uh, great signs for the Sharks that they've got guys like Tracy who can cover a number of positions. It was really a, a makeshift uh, centre-wing combination of Tracy and Harotti out there, but they absolutely tore the Cowboys to shreds. 
Yeah, look, they did. I mean, I think, you know, we, we said at the start of the year that the Sharks, I guess, sort of needed to get those wins on the board before Sean Johnson came back if they were, you know, any chance to, to make that, you know, the bottom four of, of the top eight. And look, I mean, they're tracking along nicely. And obviously, you're not going to come up against a defence like the Cowboys every week. And it doesn't get any tougher than a Roosters side who certainly don't seem to be feeling the impact of Kiri, given how well Walker played. You know, obviously, Kiri's a, a tremendous player in his own right. And this is probably, I guess, that benchmark test for, for the Sharks, Tom. Obviously, big win against the Cowboys. It's, you know, the Roosters are a perennial powerhouse and have been for the last four or five seasons. And if the Sharks are to, I guess, put themselves in a position where they can make that top eight and be in a good position before Sean Johnson comes back in about a month's time, this is probably a game that they need to be doing their utmost everything to, to get the win on the board. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll be backing in the Roosters in this one. But at the same time, I think if the Sharks had Britain Okoro, Sesib Tawakai, Sione Katoa, I think they'd be right into this game up to their eyeballs. I think that uh, they'll have enough to keep this game close. I can't really see it being too much of a blowout, but you expect the Roosters to get the job done. I'd be very surprised if it was anything but, that's for sure. And look, I mean, obviously, we're back to two, back to the two Sunday games. Obviously, you know, Easter weekend always throws a curveball at us with Easter Monday game. And Look, I guess sadly, for, sadly from your end, Tom, as 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 we joked about last week, the Tigers are still still looking for that first win in the NRL News Podcast Cup. But um, now, look, I mean, all, I say that, but for the most part, I actually thought the Tigers they were solid. I think what let you down at ultimately was probably, I mean, certainly in between that period when it went out to twenty two four or twenty two six or whatever it was. During that time, I think some fifth tackle options probably let you down. I think the certainly some of the Eels tries as well. I felt like, I mean, maybe you saw this as well, Tom, particularly for the, like Townsend, the try, the, the try that Mitch Moses set up where he was, you know, spinning and going around. It was almost like that the, the Tigers' defense on that play and a few others, they, you know, not, you'd expect someone to try and, like, I guess, apply pressure to Moses and, they sort of just backed off and let him spin and come around and obviously he went from the left side of the field to left side of the field to the right. The kick went through. Dane Laurie was in or, or in the line or not able to get back quick enough and obviously you know going past uh, what I think Luke Geiner and Tommy Talao on that side and Nia Corey goes through and I guess probably it's probably just those little one percenters that are still letting you down at the moment. Yeah, I think we were improved yesterday, but unfortunately you know the, the strong attack doesn't change. The fact that the Tigers have still conceded over 24 points in something like 14 straight games, and unfortunately that's not good enough. We've seen that the Tigers are, are able to put points on, you know, solid sides. We saw a couple of weeks ago how strong Parramatta were up against Melbourne, and you know the Tigers were able to put 22 on what was pretty much a full-strength Eels lineup, apart from Ryan Madison and uh, Wonga Blake who are out of the game. I think again it just comes down to those defensive efforts, and unfortunately for uh, Asu Kapoa, he's been dropped this week because of it. I thought he was a little bit unlucky in that first half. Obviously, he dropped that ball just before half time that led to one last try for the Eels, which really you know, swung the momentum back before half time. Just caught a little bit of a deflection and you know just hit sort of hit the hands hard and didn't quite stick. At the same time, I thought there were plenty of positives for the Tigers to take out the game. I thought their attack was strong. I really loved those spiral bombs Dewey was putting up. He had the uh, well, he had Ferguson and Gutson in all sorts for 
on a number of occasions. It was uh, kind of ironic that the, the one man he didn't kick to was Mike Acevo, who has probably been, over the last couple of years, the least safe of the back three for the Eels. The Tigers obviously have had a, a rough start to the year with, with their draw up against the Raiders, the Roosters, the Eels. So, you know, up against the Cowboys this week, I'm sure they'll be looking just to just get things back on track up against a much easier opponent. But at the same time, the Cowboys, they'll be looking to spring a little bit of a surprise. I know they've lost their last eight games at Leichhardt Oval, so they'll be looking to turn that around. The Tigers have been, uh, turned into a little bit of a bogey team for them since the, the 2005 Premiership win. So the Cowboys will be looking to guys like Val Holmes at fullback and Hamiso Tabuaifito to really spark something in attack because they really haven't shown a lot over the first few weeks. And I think for the Tigers, the key will just be holding onto the ball and they'll get their chances uh, in attack. You know, we've, we've seen this Cowboys defense is equally as flimsy as the Tigers, and if they can uh, hold on to more possession, the chances will come. Oh, they definitely will. I mean, I I look at this Cowboys side and, you know, I mean, I, I've seen some pretty bad defensive sides in my time, my eels included, obviously, you know, probably from that, what, 20... 2014 to sort of, or sorry, 2013 to 2016 mark when, you know, you look at some of the players, you look at our side basically and it was essentially a 17 of who the hell is that guy to the outside world and, you know, I think the Cowboys, if they're not careful, they're going to go down that path because defensively, I mean, they are in all sorts and, you know, it didn't help that after round one, Todd Payton comes out and criticises Jason Tamalolo in defence who... Yes, he's not the greatest defender, positionally speaking, but I think that set the wheels in motion almost in a negative way to, you know, it's that sort of thing that it's in the back of, it's in the back of all the Cowboys players' minds. And, you know, we've seen it in the opening four rounds, Tom. They just, whether it's a set play, a scrum play, an ed, you know, a, a back a opposition back rubber on the edge, a kick over the top, you name it. It just seems like they're conceding points in every single possible fashion. And once they concede one or even two in quick succession, those heads go down straight away. And that's why we've seen sev- that's why we've seen them suffer several blowouts as a result. Yeah, and there was huge pressure on a number of their forwards this week. We know the Tigers like to shift the ball, plenty of lateral movement. I think guys like James Roberts and Dane Warrior will be really looking to exploit a couple of gaps. I'm sure we'll see uh, Jacob Little try and hit. With Garner and Luciano Aylor with some short balls close to the line. And uh, a couple of guys have been really impressed with from the Tigers so far. Those two, Jacob Whittle, been really strong. Three tries so far. Obviously, grab one backing up off Luke Brooks uh, yesterday. And uh, the man that created that try, Luciano Aylor, I thought he had his strongest game of the season. Straddling off some of his stats. 25 tackles, 10 offloads. Similar performance uh, to Christian Welsh, as we were talking about earlier. Five tackle breaks. He just has that ability to poke his head through the line and just free the arm to Luke Brooks, who's always... Ducking through in support, we know that there's this, and we know the speed that Luke Brooks has uh, backing up, and you know once the Tigers get out in the clear, they're pretty hard to stop. And the other guy off the bench, Stefano Otokalmanu, come across from the Eels this year, coming off the bench first few games, he's grabbed two tries in the last two weeks, and really loving what he's bringing in the middle of the game with uh, alongside Thomas McHaley and Joe Offenhengawi. Yesterday, Alex Twal only played 30 minutes, so it's uh, a real credit to the guys like McHaley, Otokalmanu, and Offenhengawi that they're really able to. Uh, stay with the pace of the game. I know Michael McGuire came out after the game of the press conference and said that uh, 12 minutes were just due to the speed of the game, that he really felt like Moses Zembai could take advantage of that lock position. And you know, the forwards around him were able to support, uh, were able time after time to, to show their support. And you know, throughout that middle stage of the game, the Tigers were really on top. If you take out that you know, first 15-minute stretch, or sorry, 
if you take out that sort of first 25 minutes where they were down 14-0 and the last five minutes where they conceded 10 points, the Tigers are really on top for the rest of the game, I guess. Yes, certainly plenty of good signs for the Tigers. And I guess it you know it leads in perfectly to the final game of the round, which is the Parramatta Eels up against the Dragons. And yeah, look, I, I guess... It was it was a one of those ugly, messy wins for the Eels, but obviously, you know, at this stage of the season, you take where you can get to sort of, you know, build your momentum. And, you know, certainly, if you look at the last couple of years, the Eels have certainly been guilty of starting too quickly and then not being able to back it up. But it certainly seems like, based on Brad Arthur's comments post-game on NRL 360, certainly, I think the difference for them this year is they're trying to they obviously want to win every week as possible, but they're not letting the future get to their heads. They're trying to maintain that that poise and that control that you need both on and off the field and actually build a game rather than just try and go all out and score score as many points as possible and try and blow your opponent off the park. That's probably not who the Eels side are. Obviously, we saw against the Broncos. They went down 16-0, but then they were able to get back in on the back of sustained pressure, playing their natural game, building, I guess, in attack, and came obviously came away with the win. And, look, there's plenty of things to improve, but I guess probably the one guy that has not gone under the radar, but certainly when the media likes to focus on Moses or when the talk is about, you know, I guess the one-two punch that Paulo and Campbell Gillard have, is probably Reed Marnie is the guy at the moment that has had a... Tremendous start to the season. Obviously, got the three Dally M points. He's currently outright leader in the Dally M rankings. And I don't think if you'd ask, if you were to ask an Eels fan before the start of the season if Reed Marnie would be leading the Dally M's, Tom, they, even your fellow fans would <laughs> would laugh you off. Yeah, absolutely. He was outstanding yesterday. Two tries, this 40 tackles. Had that great 40-20 in the second half, which really halted any of the Tigers' momentum as they were looking for that comeback and probably just held off the Tigers for long enough that they, they couldn't get back in the game. Then had to force their hand and uh, came up with a couple of errors later in the game that went to the few tries. And I think the Eels, said the messaging this week will be around completions. They were down around 75% last week. The Tigers up around 85 So they're giving away plenty of extra ball. And unfortunately, and this Dragons side have demonstrated over the first couple of weeks what they can do in attack. Obviously, nice win up against the Knights. Got a little bit lucky with some of the injuries there. Newcastle sort of just ran out of steam towards the end of the game. But when you've got an attack with the guys like Matt Dufty, Cody Ramsey, Zach Lomax, Tarek Sims has been really good the last first few weeks. Grabbed two tries on the weekend, including that nice little charge down he, he put on the um, on the kick. And uh, I, I'd say that they'll be looking to feed plenty more ball to the edges this weekend if they want to beat the Eels, who admittedly probably have been a little bit soft on the edges so far. They've been really strong through the middle, haven't let many tries in straight up the guts. And, um, you know, I'm sure that they'll be looking to really exploit some of the, some of the defence out wide. Yeah, hopefully with the return of Matt, of Ryan Matteson, who was, obviously was named last week, but it was a last-minute decision to rest him. I think, you know, <laughs> I guess given the not the pre, not not the pressure as such, but obviously you probably saw it as well, Tom. Lots of Tigers fans sort of like they did the year before. Obviously when Russell Packer did knock Matteson out, and he didn't, you know, after in like the second minute or whatever it was, and I guess it was more just. Brad Arthur trying to protect his player, and obviously with with Matteson's concussion history, certainly against a team like the Tigers who have that intensity, given that the rivalry has certainly picked up 
since the Easter Monday clash became a regular fixture on the on the calendar, it made sense. But yeah, hopefully having him back sort of just shores up that edge a bit more. And look, I mean, I guess it's a it's a downside for a guy like Isaiah Papali who has to drop back to the bench, given how good he's been. Obviously, he uh, no nudie run for Papali or Tom Opacek, given their tries last, or yesterday. But uh, yeah, I think you know Papali, whether it's on the edge or in the middle. At the moment, he's just happy to play wherever Brad Arthur needs him to. Yeah, and he's been outstanding over the last few weeks. Averaging 67 in Supercoach, so those that got on, getting plenty of good rewards. 30 tackles on the weekend, obviously nabbed that try. I'm sure he'll be hoping to provide similar sort of impact off the bench, just on less minutes, probably. Yeah, definitely less minutes, that's for sure. And uh, look, I mean, that's certainly it from the game's perspective. And there's some mouth-watering games, some likely big scores, but equally some... Certainly close games to expect in this round, Tom. Yeah, 100%. Probably one of the easier rounds to tip that we've seen over the last couple of years. If anyone's got any uh, joke rounds in their tipping comps, I'll be throwing it on this week before we hit that origin period. But equally, there's a couple of games that could easily swing either way. And the way things are going with the injuries we've seen over the last couple of weeks in games like the Knights-Dragons and the the Raiders-Warriors a couple of weeks ago, if team comes down a couple of injuries or HIAs, uh, the game can easily swing and teams are never really out of it at this stage. Yes, certainly is always the case in rugby league. And 